0: Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble. The chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. Actually, every musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 21. Our special guest is Andre Ward. Hi, Andre Ward. Welcome to Broadway's Backbone. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. So I'm going to start by reading your uh, your major credits: <laughs> Saturday Night Fever, The Producers, Xanadu, Rock of Ages, and currently you are in Something Rotten. Yes, I'm thrilled. You're thrilled. I'm thrilled. So uh, where are you from, and how'd you get started? Uh, I'm from Las Vegas,
1: uh, originally Las Vegas, Nevada. My my mom was born there. My grandfather died there in 1941. Um, so it was really just a nothing town when he got there. And um, uh, I got started because I was very, well, I started singing. My grandmother heard me singing in my room to myself when I was very little and then she made me sing in church. And that was the first <laughs> time I ever sang in public because she so I was like, oh, you sang. And then I started acting. I was very, very talkative in school and I went to, to Catholic school my whole life. And my fourth grade teacher, Sister Regina Wajinski, Uh, My grandfather was my playground director at school, and she pulled him aside. She said, Andre is a joy, um, but he talks too much in my class. (laughs) And uh, we need to get him an outlet for some of that energy. And there was a kids' theater company called Rainbow Company in uh, in Las Vegas, a children's theater company. And I started taking acting classes there when I was in the fourth grade. Wow.
0: Yeah. And then did you continue all through high school? Uh,
1: I continued, I started to do, I did my first like high school play. Like in high school, I started to do the drama club, and, and that's where I first f- like found like, oh, I actually have, I fit in. That was the first time I really felt like I fit in, was in, um, in high school theater. And um, I started dancing when I was 14. I did a production of a chorus line my sophomore year of high school. And the head of the dance department at UNLV, the college, the university in Nevada, saw the show and offered me a scholarship to dance at UNLV um, for however long. They have a good program. They there. have a great program. And you know they, she offered me, uh, yeah, I could dance for free there. I could come and take dance class there. So That's wonderful. Yeah, so I did that um, for a couple of years and then went to college in Utah, got a four-year scholarship. To go um, to to have a to go to a, oh my goodness to Weber State University in Ogden, Utah. I uh, had a four-year tuition waiver. It just so happened Nevada and Utah did their thespian uh, conferences together that year. So when I auditioned for Nevada um, scholarships, I was also auditioning for Utah schools, and so they had a four-year tuition waiver. And I went basically. I had a four-year scholarship to go to school, and I also won the Nevada State Theater acting competition. Well,
0: that's wonderful. I was very, very, very fortunate. Well, you're very talented, so you also deserve that. You you know, (laughs) so it's not just fortunate. Were you teased and bullied at all for... Um, yes.
1: I mean, I, uh, I mean, I, it's so funny. I came out of the womb, I think, you know, very sort of, uh, as shy as I can be. Um, I was very, um... I always liked to be with the girls on the playground, and, and I was teased a lot for, for for dancing when I was in uh, high school, and I was pretty much known as you know oh I'm just that black guy that sings basically. <laughs> um, but when in grade school, you know I I used to write soap operas, when I was really little, when I was like in my in grade school, and I would stay up in the middle of the night and write plays and soap operas, and I would make the kids on the playground. Um, you know, not play and do camera blocking and do scenes from my soap operas. <laughs> at recess. Um,
0: so I got teased for that from the boys a lot. <laughs> but were you pretty resilient to it all? Or, um,
1: yeah, it's for whatever reason uh, because all of the all of the girls in my class had my back, and so they protected me from all of the. You know, and the boys wanted to date the girls, and so the girls were like, "If you're mean to Andre, then you won't kiss me." Basically, it's sort of a no. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, now Vegas is a very theatery town, but back then it was much more like showgirls. Showgirls. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like topless dancers, and I remember sneaking into a show when I was in high school, and one of the choreographers of my show in high school was a topless dancer, and I could she about plotsed when uh, she went by my table, and there I was, you know, 16. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and she's topless. Wow. Well, those—I yeah. mean, those people are really talented, just because yes. they're topless. And it's—you forget that—that that yeah. it's just a different. It's the beautiful dancers. Oh, absolutely, dancers. absolutely. So, what led you to New York, and how did you get your equity card?
1: Oh gosh, I got to New York. I did uh, summer stock in Utah for five years, um, and my one of my that my now manager Russell Gregory. <laughs> <laughs> um, was an actor with me in Utah was working at a dinner theater in uh, Pennsylvania got me a job he was, he was acting as my manager even back when I was 18 years old um, and got me the job sight unseen to do Will Rogers Follies at <laughs> this dinner theater in Pennsylvania and he um, I went out there and did that and then from there we, he drove me into the city and we had both auditioned for the non-equity tour of Crazy for You And I got the non-equity tour of Crazy For You. From there, I got the uh, European tour of Crazy For You and did that. And that's where I met my now agent, Michael Goddard. He was in that production of Crazy For You. (laughs) And um, when I got back from Crazy For You, I went to an audition for the Goodspeed Opera House, uh, their uh, production of Finian's Rainbow. And I auditioned for that production, and I got that production, and that's where I got my equity.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) I mean, It was a long journey of a lot of non-equity tours, which Mm -hmm. is great. You got to see, did you like touring?
1: Uh, It was so thrilling for me because I didn't know anything. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get on a bus. They're going to actually pay me to perform. And, you know, so we get on a bus and every night you pull into, every night you pull into a different um, place, stay in a different hotel. And I got taught, you know, you have a, you have a bag that you keep, on the bus, and then you have a smaller bag that you take into the hotel every night, and then you switch out your clothes, and it's when you do laundry, and you stop at the Cracker Bear, or stop at the subway on the uh, you know the 16-hour ride that you have every day or whatever. Oh my god! And you were know?
0: you exhausted to do the show after being on a bus? I was 21 years old, 22 years old, so it that's, was just thrilling. Yeah, that's when you should do. I was outdoors. a swing
1: as well. I didn't know what a swing was, and so I remember. Uh, I was replacing the swing on Crazy For that had been there before, and I remember sitting out in the audience with him, and we were watching the show, and I'm watching this show, and I'm watching people flip off, of, flip off of roofs and slide down tens, and those things. He's like, oh, do you see those? And in that production, there were eight guys. And he said, uh, do you see those eight guys? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you cover them. And I, <laughs> I, I didn't, I almost, I, if I could have left the theater, I would have. I couldn't believe that I would have to learn all of those things. Um, it was the best um, training for me as far as going into professional theater because it it forced me to to have a um, an overall view to look at the stage in a bigger way and to not just worry about my part to see if where I fit in the whole as far as uh, as far as the production
0: went. That was really cool. Well, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. So I'm gonna jump right in and uh, ask you about something rotten because you just went into the show. <laughs> yes, yes. it's very fresh, and uh, you were the first replacement for this track. Yes, yes. But you get the best song in the show, I it's, think. Oh, I like it. Welcome it's to, a, to the Renaissance. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's the song you uh, come it's out so humming. catchy, so catchy. So how is that just getting kind of thrown in in a big? It's right now. It's a big show. Big it's, show. I. have it's the first time I've ever replaced in a show. I
1: I had replaced in producers um, years before, but I had already done both of the tours before that, and I'd had a rehearsal process. So this is the first time where I'd only just rehearsed with the dance captain. And um, for me, I, I, I'm a perfectionist, mm. because I can be, and no, I am a perfectionist, or want to be perfect, and I don't want anybody to ever see me mess up. So to, to, um, to, for me and a dance captain, then now all of a sudden I'm with everybody and I'm doing a put-in, I was, it was terrifying for me. It was terrifying for me at, you know, this ripe old age of gray <laughs> to, for the first time, uh, be replacing in a show and be replacing somebody that's so brilliant. Michael James Scott is brilliant and beautiful and he has a gorgeous voice and, and to, to, um, to fill huge uh, shoes was uh, daunting to me, but I was so very fortunate. And I also think that, um, you know, I, I always try to tell myself that the universe is constantly moving me toward my wholeness. I try to say that to myself all the time, even when times are not great. Right. And um, I, was, I was on, it was the last week of my unemployment when I got something rotten. It's like, I punched into my computer, they said, this is your last week of unemployment. And my phone rang, and they were like, you got the job. Oh. And it was like, oh, okay, fantastic. That's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, but even when it, it when I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do when unemployment ends. I have no idea. You have to, uh, for me, I have to step out on faith. I try, to, I'm, I try to fill the cracks of my foundation with faith instead of fear, and it's a daily thing for me.
0: Well, you mentioned that you had a whole year of not only being unemployed, but being on unemployment. Yeah. And you have such a lovely demeanor about you. Everyone who I mention your name, they're like, oh, I love him, he has such a (laughs) smile. But what's amazing about you is that you can go through a really dark time, and I'll ask you how you are, and you'll smile authentically and say, Brad, I'm terrible. (laughs) And there's something genuine about you. How do you get through huge periods of that? You haven't had a lot of them, but just the example this year leading up to that yeah it was a I had done rock of ages for s-
1: almost six years the, from the beginning of the run to the end of the run and gotten really used to being on Broadway and then all of a sudden not all of a sudden but it was done and I worked um, you know I had TV jobs and I had um, I went away to Portland to do a production of Ain't misbehaven but I hadn't I didn't work consistently for a year and it was very challenging and the challenging thing for me was about, Um, It's so often, I think, times in in our business where we define ourselves by our resumes.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And it was a time for me to figure out who I am without something coming up with like, you know, what are you working on? And It's like, who am I? I'm actually a pretty great guy, um, regardless of what I'm working on and regardless of what I'm in. And that was a nice thing to find out and to be able to find out I had other interests to, you know, Um, Go to different bake shops and to there are other things besides theater. I know what I know (laughs) You know, and that was that was really That was it was fun and terrifying for me all at the same time Just to find out that I am I'm worth I'm worth seeing Without being in a show without having some sort of career and i i I think it was a really important lesson for me because i worked so consistently for so long um i hadn't i hadn't gone without a job in, in more than a decade really so it was really important for me to have that year where it was like okay this is this is what life is like yes and so then to to now join a company like something rotten where it It is a dream of a company. Oh, nice. A dream of a company. It is, I I don't know. I mean, Casey puts together a company of people like no other. Everybody is kind and sweet, and there are no diva like behaviors. It's just a generous, kind, sweet company. And I felt so, so supported from the moment I got there. Michael, who I was replacing, took me by the hand and said, "I will tell you all of the tricks and the nooks and the crannies." It was unbelievably amazing, and even with all that, I managed to still terrify myself, and that is that was a really big
0: lesson for me. Mm. Is it anxiety? Is it stage fright? It's anxiety. It's the
1: not being good enough. It's the I. You know, uh, I'm. a lot of performers I've talked to suffer from the fraud syndrome. Mm. They are going to find out that I'm not as good as, I don't know, not as good as I think I am, not as good as other people told them I am, not mm-hmm. whatever. And um, so I want to be good so, so much uh, that I, I, make, I get myself so anxious that I don't know what to do. Um, it pushes me. But I think that there might be a way to show up great and not uh, destroy yourself in the process. Not that I did that, but um, not to be so hard on yourself. Right. You know, I often I tell other people all the time, um, if you talk to a guest in your home the way you talk to yourself, you would have no guests in your home.
0: Oh, absolutely. So
1: why not treat yourself like a guest? Yep. And it's the hardest advice for me to take, but it's some—it's
0: stuff that I tell people. <laughs> yeah. Well, because last week, you said you were really hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. I said, I was, was like, let's talk about the interview. And you said, Brad, right now, I feel really untalented because I'm trying to learn nosadramas. Yeah. I'm an understudy, and I prefer that I be in a better headspace. Yes. So, Which is so admirable, but now tell me about your understudy. I mean, when you said Nostradamus, I was like, okay, this part is huge. This song is huge. <laughs> yes. I completely understood yes. it. But uh, have you had a lot of understudy experience in your life?
1: Um, no, I've understudied, uh, I understudied in Xanadu, and that was uh, uh, that was also a daunting experience, um, because it was all, it was James Carpinello, he broke his leg, and at the last minute, I went on with 90 minutes of rehearsal, oh. and, and, um, and then I understudied Mary Testa, and when Whoopi Goldberg came to the show, I went on with Whoopi in Mary's role, because Mary was away doing a show, Ooh, so that was really great. That was, um, but that's that's basically the understudying I've done. And then for six years I didn't understudy because I didn't understudy anybody in Rock of Ages. So, and Brad Oscar is so brilliant, brilliant in the show. Uh, I just was like, and it's a seven minute and 42 second number. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, how, how am I gonna do this? Um, and and I and it's it's that thing I want I just want to be good right and I want to serve because I I so respect everyone in the company and I respect what everyone does and to me everyone in the show is so good works so hard and is so brilliant and I want to be um, I want to rise to the occasion um and I just had my first understudy rehearsal and I knew it
0: of course better than
1: i than I thought and I was it was a, a wonderful gift, and again, the company, so generous, so yeah. kind, so supportive. Um, I couldn't ask for a better understudy experience, but it, it is, it's a daunting task.
0: Oh, it know. is, absolutely. So Rock of Ages, you were in it the whole run, were you an original cast member?
1: Yes, original Broadway cast member. i uh, they, they did it off-Broadway, and then um, I was hired for Broadway, and it was... Uh, it was, it's a, it was a fun ride, it was, and we moved theaters. And I will say, I, as the Brooks Atkinson's a bigger theater, but we were not together as a company of people. Our dressing rooms were on either side of the building, and so there were some people I never really saw. And so when we moved to the Helen Hayes, which is a tiny theater, which where Xanadu was, all the dressing rooms were in the same, uh, uh, the same, a basement. The walls don't go all the way up to the ceiling, oh. so you can basically talk to <laughs> you can talk to everybody all the time. Right, and you really felt like you were in a we were in our own little family, and I got to know everyone in the company that last four years that I did the show because we were all there. Yeah, no one had their own dressing room. Everybody was sort of just we were all in it together, like doing the, we were like the little show that could.
0: Oh, you definitely mm-hmm. mean it, it, it outran everyone's uh, predictions. Yeah. There's a phrase that people talk about, the golden handcuffs. Mm -hmm. How did that affect you in this show? Um, It's so, I understand it,
1: because it's sort of like you're doing the same thing over and over again for six years, it's a long time. (laughs) Um, And I I think by the time we we finished at the Brooks, I was sort of feeling that restlessness of, okay, this is an amazing job, but I don't know. And then when we moved, to the Helen Hayes, it was more like a. F- it, it, it just was a. It, it was a little more like, oh, we're all doing this together. We're all in this together, and um, because it was just this small little jewel box sort of theater, um, and, and, with Rock of Ages, like they would they would give people leaves to do things, mm. and like if I got a if I got a sort of like a TV job and there was. Um, and they could let me out to do what they would so I didn't feel chained to the show because I had my freedom to flex my creative wings everywhere and I think it's what kept so many of us there for so long because you felt cared for supported and they knew that your career needed to last past rock of ages yeah, yeah. that's fantastic it was really it was it was a really beautiful experience as, as far as that goes. It was, it was really remarkable because I hadn't been with a show where it was like, okay, if,
0: if we can let you out, we will. Yeah. It was nice. But I heard someone came back to you one time that wasn't so nice, an original cast member, <laughs> looked you right in the face after six years, was like, oh, I can't believe you're still here. <laughs> like, that's not, I mean, was that? Well,
1: I think what, what, he, what he said to me was, uh, he's like, oh, gosh, Oh God! I thought you'd die here. (laughs) 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 And I don't. For me, I'm like I don't know how he meant it. And I because I I certainly hadn't left. I was I there was I think me and one other ensemble man were the only ones that were there through the entire time. Um, and uh, and it it took me aback. (laughs) I would I would gather yes. But, I don't know, I tend to think that um, very few people mean things to be mean. I, I, I very rarely think that things come from um, uh, a menacing or a vindictive place.
0: We hear it mean.
1: Yeah, like sometimes I, I sometimes you can hear things and because of the way you're feeling, you hear it and it hits you in a particular spot. and it's always amazing to me because sometimes I'll think back on things that have been said to me in my career in a show and for whatever reason it just hits me in a place where I'm like oh yeah that's I I was saying uh, the other day a director uh, said to me recently um, he's like oh Andre that's really great that was rehearsal funny that's not actually funny for the audience for you know so like let's try like try something else amazing right like what a gift I didn't take it personally. It wasn't like he was like, it wasn't, um, he wasn't telling me that I was bad. He was saying, make a different choice. Right. Giving me me the opportunity to come up with something better. And that's the way I heard it. If I had been in a different headspace, I may have heard it as this attack on my person, this attack on my, who I am. But it's hard to be in a good headspace to accept constructive criticism. Yes, yeah. It's, that takes work. That takes a lot of work. And I can sometimes, um, take things to uh, like sometimes people will be giving a general note and I'm a person who takes the general note for myself
0: always even if it's not me right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yes I do that too and then yeah. I'm like I can't why didn't he just come up to me and tell me that yeah result? I was like well I know it was me so yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it was during your Rock of Ages Career that you uh, you mentioned earlier that you did some TV stuff. I and mean, I remember screaming at the TV when I saw you on Thirty Rock. I mean, that was huge. Like <laughs> yes. Thirty Rock, and you had a recurring role on Thirty Rock. Yes, and it took me five years
1: of auditioning to get that. I it, it was, I would come back to my agent now manager and say, well, I went in for Thirty Rock again, and huh, I'm I, you know it's something calamitous in my brain happened every time I like I would go in. I would read, I would spit in the casting director's face inadvertently. I would go in, I would read, I tripped, I fell, I knocked the camera over. I would go in, <laughs> I would read, like, every time I went, I was like, he's like, how'd the audition go? I was like, I, I wasn't great. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> but they kept calling you back. They kept calling me back, which was lovely. Right, and but and of then, course we don't see that they keep calling you back. No, all I see is I didn't get it, and I tripped and I fell on the camera. I spit in her face, she probably hates me. No but, one hates you if they're keeping if they're going to keep calling you back.
0: Uh, absolutely. They don't
1: call you back if they hate you.
0: No, not at all.
1: But I it's hard to
0: see that in the moment for me. Yes. <laughs> and you roller skated on <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Which brings us to another show in your life about roller skating. So tell me about Xanadu.
1: Xanadu is one of my favorite theatrical experiences. It was so fun and none of us knew what it was going to be. Like, I just had no idea. I was like, okay, I remember the movie and it was sort of weird and bad and, or, you know, spectacularly bad, I guess. And um, and I, I sort of thought this is gonna be my like I, I was saying at the time, I was like, this is gonna be my summer stock job on Broadway challenge, you know, it's great. And, and then we started rehearsing and I was like, oh, this is so funny. This is really good. This is so funny. I was like, oh my gosh. And, but then James broke his leg, and I was just like, oh my god, and then Cheyenne came in, and he was brilliant in a whole new way. James was wonderful, and then Cheyenne came in, and he was great in a whole new way, and I had to, we had to learn to roller skate for the show. Oh. Had you um, done Starlight Express or anything? No, no, I just <laughs> roller skated in middle school. <laughs> but we had skating lessons every day. Carrie Butler, I can tell you now, is one of the most generous beautiful actresses I've ever had the pleasure of working with. I tell this story a lot to people because when I went on for James, after he broke his leg in three places at oh. a rehearsal, like, you know, in, um, uh, right before our show. Um, Roller skating? Ro- uh, yeah, he had his skates on, fell. They took him away in an ambulance. Um, and I went on and I, there was a song in the show called The Fall and there was, <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh! I know, think about that. And um, there was a, there's a lyric in it where I say, um, "I see a tear in your eye," and I couldn't think of it during the course of that first time I was on. And Carrie Butler looked at me. She saw I was going up. She welled up her eyes with tears. Blinked, dropped a tear, and I went. I see a tear in your eye. It's
2: a lie.
1: It was remarkable, and I came off stage, and I was like, I cannot believe that you dropped a tear. Till she goes, well, I could see you were going up, so I was trying to think, what can I do to help you?
0: Wow. She's 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 pretty remarkably amazing. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Tell me about Whoopi Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) Did she cry for you on stage?
1: (laughs) Also, I I know I keep using this word, but I have had the fortune of work, the good fortune of working with amazingly brilliant and generous people. Well, like attracts like. Oh, that's, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much for that. Um, You know, she was coming into the show um, to boost ticket sales and, um, and, Mary was going away to do her one-woman show, and so they had me rehearse with her and open the show with when she came into the show. We were the two evil sisters, and you know I'd only known her growing. I mean, I mean she still doesn't even know to this day that I used to do the Color Purple on the playground with my one of my best friends in the third grade. (laughs) We used to do scenes from the Color Purple on the playground, Um, and uh, so I was like, they're like, you're gonna rehearse with Whoopi Goldberg. She is what you see is what you get. She is who, there is no like pretense, there's no it's like, she's that on camera and she's this off camera, she is who she is. And so kind, so generous, so tell it like it is. She doesn't blow smoke. If, um, you know, she, yeah, she doesn't bullshit, sorry. No, that's okay, <laughs> that's okay. Kids know that. Which way. I, which I so appreciate. And yes. she's, she's really, um, she taught me um, how to how to take a compliment, which is hard for me. You know, she would say say thank you, or she would say you did a, you did great, or you or we would come out for um, after the show, and people were screaming for her, wanting her autograph, and she would pull my hand, and she would say, and here is Andre Ward. You, you know, he, he went on with me, and they were like, yes, you were so great. She goes, wasn't he great? Oh, she was very so generous. kind yes. and so generous. And I remember, you know, even with the show, um, they um, put her picture. She wants. She's like, I want to make sure my picture is not above Carrie's because Carrie is the star of the show. You know, I am here. I'm in the I'm. I'm one of the people that's in the show. I'm. I'm part of the ensemble of the show and you can put my picture on the, you know, she's like, put my picture on the poster, of course, but it can't be, I don't want it to be above Carrie's, because oh. she's, the, she's the star of the show. Yeah. And it's that kind of thing. Well, where'd they
0: put her in the dressing room? Because
1: She shared a dressing room, like, that, she goes, I, I remember they were, they were um, saying, they were like, oh, where should we put Whoopi and, and I remember her coming in and saying, well, where, the person who I'm coming in for, where do they dress? I want to dress where they dress. And they shared a dressing room with Mary Testa, so that's that's what she did. Yeah, she's like, and she hung out with us, you know. She invited us over to her apartment to have pizza. To you know, she was, she's just, she's a, she's a person, and that's really great and really down to earth. And she's an actress. Yes, you know, above celebrity, she was an actress before she was a celebrity. So. Tell me about the producers and the fact of, how you did three different companies? I did three different companies. I did. Um, I started off on the second national. Um, we opened in Boston. Brad Oscar was our max, oh. which was uh, thrilling, so it's nice to be working with him again. And, um, and then I, I did that for a year, moved to the first national, and I can't remember how long I did that, and then from there went to the Broadway company because uh, Robert Fowler uh,
0: uh, had a medical leave and I, I did his medical leave. I love the producers. Um, but one thing that it's any long run running Broadway show, is they're very particular about when you come into a show, this is exactly how you do it. Yes. Of course, the intention being trying to maintain that opening night performance, which for some people can be very frustrating, unless you're, of course, uh, original cast. Everyone else has to do my choices. Yeah. So then it can, that's a good vein project. But to be a replacement in this instance, you're told you're on five and a half and your pinky has to be like this.
1: Yes, that's the, I think the first time that I had experienced that as a performer, where it was like, oh, Andre, your middle finger needs to be on your chest and then like um, it has to go through, it has to look like it's going through your left shoulder. I was like, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> quite know. I was like, okay, that's that. okay. But I will say that even in that, I, I was so. I, I was such a gift, because I remember, and I don't even know if she'll remember this, but I of course I remember because I'm you know Susan Stroman. Oh, she was at one of our rehearsals, and I don't even I was doing something in the little old lady scene, and she goes oh, she goes Andre's doing something really fun there. Would you bring his mic up for that? This little it was a little tiny teeny tiny thing. And but was like she doesn't have to do that. No, she's you know she's she directs, she directs she's directed the show how many times. You know she could say Andre, don't do that.
0: <laughs>
1: that's not the way. That's not how we do it. So stop doing it. Right. She thought it was funny, and she let me do it. But if she had said
0: no, I would have stopped doing oh, it. Of course. of course. But sometimes I think the stage managers they have their bible, and so and they're not given the creative license Absolutely. that Strowman's given. So uh, they have to say, absolutely. "Put your middle finger up there and no extra ad libs." And I get it. Yeah, I absolutely get it.
1: And I am a person that,
0: when given some
1: freedom, I do move as much as I can in that box of freedom. I stay within the box, right. but I move as much as I can <laughs> in that box of freedom, <laughs> which has been really great for the shows that I with um, Xanadu and Rock of Ages and uh, now Something Rotten. It's so it's such a and I get to learn from such Christian Borle is like unbelievable. Oh, yes. Brian D'Arcy James is unbe. Heidi Blickenstaff and, and I worked together twenty years ago. In oh, a wow. Tour of Dreamgirls. Oh, I shouldn't say twenty years ago. She's young. <laughs> She's really young. As are you. Um, but it's it's such a joy to work with people who are so present and free. That's what's like. I saw the lab of something rotten. I saw oh. it opening night and to come back and see it right before I went into the show and see that people are just as present. Oh,
0: absolutely. And
1: just as alive as they were when I saw it a year ago is
0: remarkable and a testament to the people that Casey hires. I yes. Think. I completely agree. Because hmm? he's hired me. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were chorus boys together, so yes. I know Casey back. Oh, yeah, um, I did Saturday Night Fever with Casey. Oh right, which we're <laughs> we're gonna talk about that, that next. The not with the night I saw it, he moonwalked off stage during the curtain call and waved it. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the, but it's Saturday Night Fever yeah. curtain call, so you can yes, do that. Yes, you can do but that. But before we go on to Saturday Night Fever, you had one of my favorite lines of all times uh, in a Broadway show in The Producers. Oh yeah, the Black oh, Iris. Yes,
1: I can't remember it. It's, what is it? What do I say? Oh, oh, I can't remember it. Oh, dang it. It's leaving me right this second.
0: No, that's okay. It's just I would laugh out loud. I saw this yes. show several times because people didn't get it. Yes. actually, I'm actually, I am You're really actually Black, black guy, right? Irish. <laughs> so, like, I get the joke. And some people yeah. were like, that does, th- people don't think that exists. So that's yeah. why it's such a funny joke, that is, funny. is that it is a true joke. It's a thing. Um, anyway, blah, yeah. blah, blah. <laughs> 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 Enough about me. Saturday Night Fever, I saw, when I saw the show, I saw it in the back row. I hadn't met you yet, but I remember you distinctly from that show because you had like dreads or a wig.
1: I had wig. I had a big Afro wig. Big Afro show. wig,
0: and you could see you were living and smiling. You were one of the featured dancer yes. duets. Yes. And I just remember, you know, there was no, you were playing to the back row. Yes. And <laughs> that was that was thrilling. And so when yeah. I did meet you, I knew exactly who you were from that show. And you all, do you always perform at that level? I. There's, for me, that I don't know how
1: else to do anything. My friends always say, to your, Andre, it's to your benefit and also to your detriment, that you're always a um, hundred and, 110%. Andy Blankenbuehler and <laughs> Blank and used to say that. You're always full out,
0: always full out. Yeah. <laughs> but look at who was in that show. Casey Nicola was in that show, saw you always being full out, and now you're opening his new show on Broadway. It's an opening number.
1: So. It is, it is pretty remarkable, and I look at the people from that show too, uh, you know, as funny as that show was. Um, you know, Casey was in that show. Andy Blankenbuehler I met in that show. Josh Prince was in that show. Yes. <laughs> Catherine Planted, the beautiful dancer
0: from Cleveland. Oh, Lyle. yes.
1: She was my dance partner. Oh, wow. She was my partner. I just I, saw
0: her in uh, *In your arms. Yeah.
1: Yes. Just. Gorgeous, beautiful spirit. She's the first person to teach me how to say no. Really? Um, yeah. And I, how does that benefit you? Because sometimes, uh, for me, I'm a person who always likes to be agreeable. And it is not always to your best interest as a person, as a performer, as a person who uses your body um, as uh, for your career. And I remember we were doing something that um, and we opened the show on Broadway. The show was, you know, our number was being uh, done on us, and there was something that she couldn't. Uh, there that, that was, that there's nothing she can't do. Right. Let me say, um, but uh, we tried and tried and tried. It just wasn't working well for us. And I remember she she tried and tried and tried. And that's the thing. It's, it's not like she didn't try. Right. That's the thing I love about her. A, I we'll give it, give it to you for my best. She's like, but, she's like, I don't think that works. She said, I don't think that works for me, Shetty. It does not work for Andre and I. It should be what we do best. And I'm saying it in her voice because it always sounds better. Yeah. Um, it should be what Andre and I do best because we are, the, we are the Chester and Shirley from Broadway. We are the people opening this show. So our dance should be what we do best. So let it be what Andre and I do better. And she was exactly right. I was, of course, like shivering in a corner because I was so scared. Um, because it's hard sometimes. Well, especially back then when I was in my early twenties, it was hard for me to speak up and say, "Oh, could ma- maybe could could I?" You know. But she knew her body. Right. She had been a principal dancer with Alvin Ailey for nine years and opened to The Lion King, and and um, she really she's a force. Mm-hmm. And it really helped me to uh, come into my own, to sort of know my limits. It's important as a performer for you to know your limits, for me to know my limits, I should say, or like only to speak for myself. Um, For me to know my limits, because if I go too much beyond my limits, I'll break myself and then when there's no more me, there's no more me.
0: Yeah. And then, I'm the only me I got absolutely you know and we people like you so you have to you have to, you have to stay you have to stay around so this was your Broadway debut how was that experience of you know and then this big old Broadway theater and a big old fun show
1: it was crazy it was the cr- if it, it, I had never ex- I've not since <laughs> or before experienced anything like Saturday night fever um, because it was huge, there were thirty or thirty-five of us or something in the show, and um, just so much dance and so much partnering, and uh, and we had so much freedom. Um, so trying to balance the freedom that we had in the scenes, and like the, the you know the poor people trying to do the scene work downstage and us upstage trying to like create this lively disco. Um, was, you know, sometimes we weren't great at it. Sometimes I wasn't great at it, I should say. I can only speak for me. (laughs) 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 But it was thrilling. It was, I remember, like, um, walking on the Minskoff stage for the first time with those iconic um, tiles that light up on the stage. And looking out into the huge theater and going, oh my goodness, I am on Broadway. And I... Couldn't have been more thrilled. I, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. I can't believe it's happening. And I had dreamed about it. I remember being in college with a friend of mine and saying, you know, if if all I can do is get paid to like push a broom across Broadway as um, in a scene, I'll be fine. That's all I want. And then to be a featured dancer in a Broadway show was was so thrilling to me. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: And I remember when I saw the show, I. Even though I grew up in that era, yeah. I hadn't seen the movie. Mm-hmm. I loved it, and I one the thing I'll remember is how clean the dancing was. Yeah, and yeah. that you know, as you because that's what I was watching, and I was like, this is really clean. So, I mean, for being a Broadway yeah. debut, you know, it's it's great. But speaking of like pushing brooms or and things like that, how was Cinderella tour with you? Because I heard stories of people. Being like pushing cats and mice, were you anything like that? Yes. Well, my
1: one of my best friends was the cat, and I was the dove. I was. <laughs> 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 I remember just going, brr, brr, you know, that's was. Uh, and I had this fishing pole that had a big bird attached to it, and I had these little um, these two strings that pulled that made the wings fly. And I would run around the stage with this fishing pole with a bird on it and fly it into Eartha Kitt's hand because. Every time she lifted her hand, the dove was supposed to fly into it. It was, uh, and I left Saturday Night Fever to do that show.
0: Like, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. And
1: it was very, it was, it was an interesting. I was, I was actually very happy because I was not one of the mice. Because the mice, when they became horses, had to wear white unitards, and I would have been horrible. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I was very happy to be on the back of the stagecoach going burr, burr, as a bird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you also, uh, my favorite show of all time is Ragtime. Mm. And it was one of the first shows I saw on Broadway when I moved to New York City. Oh, and yeah. you did the Chicago, Chicago company. company with Hit and Battle and the Shons. Oh, wow. Mm. How was that experience? I mean, you were like the original Chicago yeah. Company. Yes. It was so, I
1: I, I have never, because there's sometimes you do a show where you do it and it takes away the magic of seeing it. Right. And I've done shows like that where I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't done this because now I know the magic. Mm. Ragtime was one of those shows, it was just as magical to be in it as it was to sit and watch it. I have never felt like cooler I can't even say I can't there's not a other word I could use. I felt so cool every night in that opening number. Oh. First of all it's so brilliantly choreographed by Graziella Daniel. And it's and the staging is so it's wonderfully simple and brilliant, but I I, my, I can feel my heart beating now thinking about it. I've never felt more amazing. Doing that show was such a thrill in my career. It was um I did it for almost a year, and by the time it was done, it was hard. It was it's starting to be hard because it's a heavy show. Yes, it is. And you know, I, and I there was a point where I was like, I remember I was like, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of down, and I don't even know why. And somebody pointed out, they're like, Well, Andre, y- you do get called nigger every night on stage, so that could be doing it. And it hadn't it really because. It's like well, it's theater, right? But it still imprints on the fabric of your soul.
0: Oh, um, absolutely.
1: So I, it was like okay. So when the show when we closed in Chicago, and I went from that to Saturday Night Fever, um, I, it, I felt like time. I don't know if I could have done it more than a year. It was really, it was so beautiful, but it was a. Uh, by the time we were done, it was it was tough. It's tough to go to a funeral every night. Yeah, you know. It's funny, because I I don't usually consider myself as a a person that's like, oh, you know, uh, I got really into it, and now, you know, but it, I don't know, I'm not making much sense. I'm sorry. No, you're making complete sense. But it really does affect you. It really did affect me. Because most of the shows I've done have
0: been comedies. Right. Really, really fun. Well, that's what I wanted to talk (laughs) about. Most of the shows you've done, you were... I hate to use the term, but you were the token. Mm. You were the token, a uh, black guy, or you were the ethnic track. People say, mm-hmm. and with ragtime, it was actually dealing with race. Mm-hmm. And there's right now, race is a hot topic. You know, especially with the Oscars having yes. uh, all, I mean, very it's whitewashed, and you have we have Donald Trump. You <laughs> know, I mean, just you know, me being racist. How has that affected you and your career and your experience uh, as a black man in theater? That's so interesting because I it's
1: so funny because I, I grew up in an all-black neighborhood, but went to private schools my whole life. So I was always the one black person in the all-white environment. Mm. And then I went to college in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm so like most, I think like a lot of black people in this country, you're used to to maneuvering in an all-white environment. So when I actually went, and my first two huge jobs were Dreamgirls tour and Ragtime. And that was actually sort of like, oh, I'm with other black people. Like there are other black people around. Right. That was a lot for me to sort of like, I was like, oh, I'm in a company of <laughs> black people. That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't even know what that was like before. Um, what's What's been interesting for me is that with I think with uh, Rock of Ages, when the part was done off Broadway, it wasn't black. Mm. And so they were just, I, and when I got the part um, at the audition, I was the only black person at the audition. I remember, like I looked around and I, had, I was doing a show in Syracuse at the time at Syracuse stage and I'd driven in and I was like, oh, I'm not gonna, I walked in and I was like, I'm not getting this, I'm not getting this. They're not looking for me. And I remember right before they, they I sung, and they said, Andre, can you come back and move? And I said, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, they don't I, don't, I don't know why they're asking me, but okay. And um, right before we danced, I really looked around with the other four guys that I was with, and I was like, well, there's a little bit of pepper and the salt today. <laughs> Five, six, seven, <laughs> let's do it. Because I just thought, I was like, well, I don't think they're looking for me. Right. Um, and it just goes to show you never know. And when I first came to the city, I used to say all the time, and it, I, it's something that I really feel like I need to put back into my meditation, <laughs> um, so to speak. Because I used to say, I was like, "Don't cut yourself, don't cut yourself from anything. Go to everything." Yeah. You know, I was like, I was like, "Child, unless it's Ku Klux Klan,' the musical, I'm going." I used to say. So it's um, race plays in a, uh, has played a part. I'm I am black. I'm a black man right. in theater. Um, but there have been times where I'm like, where people are like, he doesn't seem black enough. You know, uh. you don't talk black enough. You know, I've been at um, voice o- voiceover auditions, where it's like, Andre, can you say that a little more, you know, it's urban, less educated, less, and I'm like, okay, you know, and so I'm trying to say this, you know, catchphrase, famous catchphrase, and I'm trying to say it in the most, you know, Uh, least enunciated way it's so it's a
0: bizarre thing it's a bizarre thing so they still want to put you in a box a stereotypical box yeah even though I mean we we say that we're breaking out of it you know when it comes to oh if we're gonna pay you for it we want you in this box
1: it's I think it's and I get it it's it's hard you know because you see people a certain way right you're like oh that's how you should be but I will say that most of the things in my career that have happened for me It's been because people have taken a chance and seen me not in necessarily the way in which um, they feel like I should be. Right.
0: Well, they see your talent, not your color. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. That's very sweet of you
1: to say. I'm like, it's hard for me to take a compliment. Right, I know. Uh (laughs) Yeah.
0: But one thing that, too, like, just in hearing where the the state of the world is now, there's something that. I have that I don't use, but it's is I, white privilege, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I'm like, oh! But even though I don't ever feel like I act on it, I just it's something I was born with, mm-hmm. and so and that's just so interesting. Because uh, do you feel that that um, is a, a bad thing or like against you? I'm I'm not now. I'm not un- enunciating.
1: Um. Well, I. I didn't grow up with, well, the, you know you know what, my grandfather, my grandfather who raised me was born on a, um, a farm in Mississippi, um, Mr. Kimbrew's cotton farm, he picked cotton, and he moved from Mississippi to Louisiana to Arizona to Las Vegas. Um, and so it's funny because my mom was a teen mom, so my grandparents raised me in the house with my mother. And so I was being raised by a man who was born in the Depression. Mm. And so he always taught me growing up, um, he's like, you're a black man in America. You're gonna have to work twice as hard to be as good. So just know it. So it wasn't something that I was ever, that's just how I grew up thinking. And so it wasn't ever something that I was mad about (laughs) or thought was unfair. I just thought that's the way things are. Yeah. I was like I'm going to I have to make sure that I work twice as hard. Twice as hard. I have to. And when you dance 120%. Yes. It not- <laughs> was like I just have to make sure. Yeah. Because that this is what I want to do. You know. It's like I'm going to be an actor and I'm so I'm going to have to work twice as hard to do it. And um and it's funny I feel like the universe moved me in a way that uh I I mean I stood out as the the you know, one of the lone black actors in Utah. I mean, just by nature of being there. Right. But I didn't want to just be, oh, okay, he's the black actor, so they're gonna do all of these shows. You know, I was <laughs> I was <laughs> I for whatever I was action I was action the most racist jet in West Side story. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, you know, I was Kodai and she loves me. I was it was really um because I didn't just want to be to play all of the black roles in the show, and there weren't just black roles to do because it was Utah.
0: Right. Well, I went to a performing arts high school, and all of our um, shows were colorblind casting. Mm. You know, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Four of the brothers were black; three oh. of them were white. And it's just I grew up with that, and so now that it's a big thing, it's it's very interesting that especially now after the Grammys, everyone's on Hamilton for having colorblind casting. I mean. It's a good thing, right? I think it's a good thing.
1: I, th- I think it's not about just, I've always thought it's not about just going, oh, we're gonna put a black person in this role. Right. It's about putting the best person in the role. Right. And I think but that's where it all sort of like happens is because uh, as m- maybe culturally, it's like this, th- this role has to be blonde. And I think that's sometimes where um, where people like have to force diversity because you sometimes have to force open the mind to go, oh, that actually doesn't have to be a blonde blue-eyed person. That actually doesn't have to be a black girl. That right. can be, you know, that can be a, a white girl. This can be an Asian person. It doesn't have to be these stereotypes that we think they have to be. Right. It can just, and I think. Sometimes that's where, like, forcing diversity down, um, forcing diversity on um, a subject comes because what you're trying to do is explore the options. Like, the fact that you're you're four black brothers and seven brides for seven brothers is great because it just so happens that those are just the best seven guys for the show. We didn't
0: even think about it, like, growing up, you know. And that's pretty special. Oh, absolutely. No. Um then from San Diego, we were like, why aren't there any Hispanics in the show? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yes. It depends on where you're from. Yeah. And I mean it Um Well, you have such a amazing light about you, which is which is so great. And what I mean you probably have a zillion joyous moments uh in your life and in your show business career. Mm. I mean if if you could name one or five or Oh gosh. What would it be? Um goodness gracious.
1: I you know what's so funny? There's small moments. Um, I remember I remember getting my equity card at Goodspeed Opera House, mm. and I mean, he's now a person who's one of my best friends in the whole world, saying, he's like, oh, like we were walking back to the housing, and he goes, yeah, I'll see you at work tonight. And I remember stopping in the beautiful greenery that is East Haddam, Connecticut, and going, oh, that's right. It's my job. I get paid to do what I love to do. Like, I remember literally sitting, like standing in the middle of Connecticut and like looking up at the sky and saying, oh my god, that's right, that's my job. Like, it's my work. I'll see you at work, wow. Absolutely. I was like, that's really, really cool. And um, And a lot of
0: people don't consider what we do work.
1: No, no.
0: Like, just this week for you, for example, and then, because I want to get you get you back to your show. You had two shows today. Yes. You did a reading today and understudy <laughs> rehearsal yeah. and eight shows. Yeah. And right now you should be napping. And I'm like, let's do an interview. <laughs> so, I mean, it is work. Yes. You know, and then there's classes and, you know, training mm-hmm. and coachings. Yeah. And yeah. So it's as joyous as it is.
1: It's as joyous t- as it is. It can be tiring. Yeah. I'm like anything, like any job. But to to know that I'm doing what I feel like I was put on earth to do makes being tired all the better. It's easy to be tired, it's easier to be tired when um, I am so joy filled doing what it is I do. And every time I try to run away from what it is I think I should be doing, something happens to say, no Andre, this is what you're supposed to be doing. So stop running and show up and just let your light. Oh, that sounds so trite. Let your light shine. But that's true. No. Stop run. Stop running. And I would say that to anybody. Um, if you found what you're supposed to do, stop running from it. And show up and be it, because it's the best thing you could do for yourself. I say that to anybody else, and I'm really saying it to me.
0: Good. Now it's on tape, Zoo. (laughs) So you have to listen to it yourself. Well, uh, I like to end each podcast with a song. Uh, Mm. From your whole career or your uh, life, what song comes to mind that you would love your podcast to end with?
1: Ooh, you know, it's so funny. It said ragtime, and there's, you know, we can never go back to before, which is so beautiful. And that's been a, um, I've been really concentrated on that a lot, that, the sentiment of that we can never go back to before because there's a lot of, um, if I had only done this, if I could only change this about my life, and um, you can't do that. It's magical thinking, yeah. and you can't do it. And so the only thing you have is now, being present and now. And there's also another song from this really obscure show I did, I called them a Shoulda, Coulda's. Oh. They have Shoulda, Coulda come to Broadway. <laughs> um, Christiane Knoll sang this song in. Um, oh, it's so funny because she also played Mother in the revival. Oh, she did. Um, she sang this song called um, uh, "Know When It's Time to Go," and it's all about the fact that don't be the last to leave the party. Don't ignore the bad. N- don't ignore the bad news. I'm no genius, but I know when it's time to go. And um, it was a beautiful song in the show called "Kept," um, that I did. With Christiane Knoll. Will Swenson. (laughs) Wow. Me, Brian Shepard, who I'm now in Something Rotten with years and years ago in Palo Alto. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And it's just sort of about, okay, know where you are in life. Yeah. Well, excellent. Yeah.
0: Well, know that every little thing that you did got you to this point where you are right now. Yeah. So. You don't want to go back to before, but if it wasn't before, those steps, and sometimes they're missteps, lead you to right now, which is in a a lovely place. So thank you for smiling. Thank you. Thank uh, you so much for having me.
1: I'm so so honored. My pleasure.
2: (laughs) There was a time our happiness seemed never ending. I was so sure that where we were heading was right. Life was a road so certain and straight and unbending, our little road with never a crossroad in sight. Back in the days when we spoke in civilized voices, women in white and sturdy young men at the oar, back in the day when I let you make all my choices, we can never go back to before. There was a time my feet were so solidly planted, you'd sail away while I turned my back. Content, a princess asleep and enchanted. If I had dreams, then I let you dream them for me. Back in the days when everything seemed so much clearer, women in white who knew what their lives held in store. Where are they now, those women who stared from the mirror? can never go back to before.